Hi there, I'm Evan Troxell. Welcome to my podcast about how technology is changing the architectural profession. Welcome back, I'm Evan Troxell. In this episode of the podcast, I have another conversation with Scott Reynolds, who once again joins me to talk about the ongoing lawsuits with the International Code Council and UpCodes. And interestingly enough, and I think we alluded to this in the last episode, obviously there is a lawsuit going on between the ICC and UpCodes, and just over the general ability of an entity to copyright the law, and in this case, that's building codes. And that lawsuit has been going on for a couple of years now, and UpCodes recently got some favorable news from the judge in that first lawsuit, and right on the heels of them kind of taking a breather and that weight being lifted off their shoulders, were pretty immediately followed up with another second lawsuit by the ICC. Since we've recorded this episode, an article on TechCrunch came out and really kind of spelling out what's going on there and getting that information out into the general public so that there can be some public opinion weighing in on whether building codes should be able to be copyrighted and what this second lawsuit is about, uh, things of that nature. I think the thing that is most interesting about this conversation is the recurring theme of the incumbents who've been around for a long time holding on to the way things were as much as possible and really how tech is trying to change that and make information more accessible to more people in better ways and kind of rethinking the way that our profession works from the ground up. Obviously, there's a lot of people who are really uncomfortable with that. And so that's more of a general theme. I think we've seen that in quite a few episodes so far, and this one is no different. But this one is definitely coming from a different point of view. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy my second conversation with Scott Reynolds of UpCodes. So you wanted to talk about uh, this TechCrunch article. And this is something that I teased about in the last episode that you were on. So welcome back officially. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Good good to be back. And you've upgraded your hardware. So you are taking this super seriously. I, I love that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, you've got a new microphone, which is cool. And, and I teased about it in the intro because we did not talk about it in the last time you were on the show. But you guys have been through a lot on the legal side of things over at UpCode. So why don't you just like lay the groundwork for this conversation with what's been going on over the last few years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So just as a kind of background to what we do, um, we host regulations, all kinds of building codes online, Uh, whether it's um, building code, plumbing code, residential code, we we put that online, make it free to view, make it easy to work with. Um, You can copy, paste, send links to folks. And then we build uh, premium tools on top of that. But Mm -hmm. just focusing on that first part, getting that code online, making it accessible. We, we thought we were in the clear. This has been litigated before. You know, Do people have free access to the laws that govern them? Mm-hmm. In this case, building codes. And we um, looked at some of, the, some of the case law and said, you know what, um, this particular organization we're looking at, uh, International Code Council or ICC, has litigated this twice previously and, and lost when they said, you know, we have a copyright on these laws. Mm-hmm. So we said, okay, let's take these laws and let's put them online and let's, let's make it free. And they brought a lawsuit against us saying like, hey, you, you guys can't do that. We have a copyright on those laws. Um, so really, that's kind of the foundation of this dispute or the, this argument. Can organizations like 
um, ICC or NFPA, do they have the right to claim copyright on these laws? Um, or are they in the public domain and can people operate and, and uh, work with them um, as they want to? Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. So I, I mean, there's and you guys aren't the only ones who are putting making code available to people on a platform, right? There's MadCAD. I'm sure that there's others. Do they license that then, therefore, from the ICC to, to do that? And they're not a target of litigation or it, what's going on there? Yeah, for sure. So so I think there's um, a couple of folks on both sides of the fence there. So like you mentioned, MadCAD, I think there's uh, TechStreet or, or something like that um, who, who do license um, and they'll pay royalties back to some of these SDOs okay. or standard development organizations. But on the other side of the fence, you have people like Public Resources, yeah. which uh, believes in free access. And they say, no, like none of this can be behind a paywall. We're, we're governed by it and we have to follow these rules legally. Um, so we're just going to post it for free. Yeah. Um, and they've been the target of litigation as well by many organizations. So got fo- folks on both sides, folks yeah. who put it behind a paywall and pay the royalties, folks who believe in open access to, to the laws. Yeah. And so obviously you guys fall on the open access side of that. And and you don't have like everything available on your platform, right? You have, you, you're building toward a goal of having all of this stuff available, but I could imagine that's a huge mountain to climb. Exactly. So when we kind of set out in, in the early days, like the, the big vision was let, let's become the Lexus Nexus of construction. Let, let's get all of this information together. Let's unify it. So it's all in the same format, make it searchable, make it easy to copy and paste and do all these things. Just get all this, bundle up all this information, leverage technology so we can keep these things up to date and uh, pull in all the, the data into to one place. Um, so that, that was absolutely the original vision. Now that's challenging for a couple of reasons. Uh, like we're talking about now, uh, is, is the legal component of that. So when we set out, we didn't, we didn't think it'd be any problem. Yeah. This had been litigated before thought it, thought we were in the clear, but, uh, and maybe we'll get into this later, but, uh, the, the legal system is a little bit challenging that they can keep bringing lawsuits and lawsuits against you. So we, there was a little bit of unforeseen challenges on the, the legal side. And then as well on the technology side, it, it's also challenging getting all this information together, keeping it up to date, up yeah. to date, um, integrating amendments. So. Um, lots of challenges, but that absolutely is the goal. And I think we'll get there eventually, just probably a little bit longer than our initial vision. So let's go back to the first time that this happened when they actually did sue you. Can lay out exactly what happened then and what came out of that and and then what, what maybe where that's gone since then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so at the time, it was just myself and my brother, mm-hmm. uh, my who's, who's my co-founder and, and CTO, uh, just just two of us, and we had gone through Y Combinator, so we did an accelerator program, and we were starting to grow the business. Um, we, we were just going out for our very first funding, bringing some 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 venture funding in, so we could grow the team and move a little bit quicker. Um, so this was in summer of 2017, so so quite some time ago. Yeah, and we were in 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 the Bay Area in California, and we were in South Bay, where a lot of these VCs are, and we were going out to to raise some money. Um, after a very long Y Combinator program, we we raised a little bit of, of funding and then we finished up exhausted, ready to kind of uh, take it easy for a week or two, maybe even like take a vacation and, and just kind of like recoup and recover, mm-hmm. arrive back in San Francisco. And there on our doorstep was um, uh, a surf. Basically, ICC sued us and, and um, the, the processor had, had dropped the, the documents on our, on our uh, doorstep. So when we're coming back to get a little bit of reprieve, 
uh, it, it was exactly the opposite. We, we had a scramble and it's like, what, what so do we even stressful. do? Yeah. Jeez. And, and I don't know if anyone watches the show Silicon Valley, but there's, there's a great scene, which their um, Richard's representation, his, his lawyer, he goes to him, he's like, Hey, we're, you know, we're getting sued. Can you represent us? And the lawyer is like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't represent you guys. I don't, I don't litigate. Like I'm the guy who connects you with the guy that litigates. And I thought that was a joke, but that's actually exactly how it works. So we went out to our lawyers. We're like, Hey, okay, we, we got this. Like we, you know, what do you even do about this? Like what was the first step? Obviously don't know anything about it. And they're like, well, you know, like, that's not what we do. You got to talk to a litigation lawyer. We'll connect you with, with that guy. So it was really stressful, but you know, we had something like two weeks to respond to it. And it was literally the day before, like I think even in the evening, where we finally put in place the the firm that would represent us, and they they put a, I think they put an extension in, and then we could do our formal response. But it's yeah. all coming down to the line is just is, is probably one of the most stressful periods of my life. Yeah, jammed into those those two weeks. I could totally imagine. Geez, so so you guys just went through this VC round, kind of the future. I was I would think at that point is like okay, we have like the next some period of time kind of figured out. We can take a deep breath. And then you, you leave for a few days, you come back and it's like the, probably the most stressful thing that you've ever encountered in your whole life. It, this big organization is suing you guys. And, and what does that lawsuit say? Like, what's the basis of that lawsuit? Yeah. So the, the basis is that we gathered up these regulations and laws and made them free to everybody. And they said, Hey, you, you can't do that. You know, we own the laws, like we'll decide who, who, We'll distribute it to. We'll put this stuff behind paywalls, and basically, it's it's kind of like the troll under the bridge. It's like you got to pay you got to pay the toll to cross the bridge. Yeah, and they're they perceived us as just letting people cross that bridge for free, like putting, um, uh, giving open access to these laws. So they're basically like, hey, look, uh, there's copyright infringement and across all your codes, we own those codes, and you got to take them down. Um, and and yeah, that that was the the claim, um, early on. So their their point is that you they require people to pay to see or to have access to those codes and you guys are giving them away from for free basically undermining their business and and your position then is yeah i I mean i mean basically like uh what you alluded to like they're talking about the fact that this is their lifeblood to to um to the organization but the reality is that it's not even their number one line item in, in the revenue they actually being the gatekeeper to the regulations and being you know, the source that they are comes with a lot of benefits. So, so they make an absurd amount of money from this ecosystem. And while they might claim that um, uh, th- this is kind of like critical to, to, to sustaining their business, they're actually cash flush. Uh, this particular organization, ICC, they make $78 million a year. The CEO is, is comped over $700,000 a year, which for a nonprofit, is, I think the average salary for nonprofit CEO is something like a hundred or 120,000. Wow. So this is just, just seven X way beyond yeah. um, a- anything normal. And, and that's just ICC. But if you look at other organizations, like they're um, uh, similar organizations to them, their multi-million dollar packages go to the CEO. So um, sorry, I know we're getting off track here a little bit, but uh, if, you, if you look at like NFPA, their outgoing CEO, I think got like a four or $5 million dollar, cash bonus when when he left so i mean from from our perspective they're taking advantage of our industry and and making you know if if their claim is that uh they're trying to make the built environment safer then we should try and get 
those regulations to everyone's hands and build tools to actually help them uh, understand what the regulations are and apply it to their projects. Yeah. Sorry, I know that was a, a, a bit of a, a tangent well, of an answer. I think where I was going fundamentally with that is that, and this is what you guys have said before, and you, you said it, you alluded to it earlier, is that like you shouldn't have to pay to have access to the building code, which is a law in the country. So basically what they're saying is, no, you got to pay to read the laws. Right, right. And that's, yeah, if exactly. you really boil it all down, like that sounds pretty incredible of a claim, right? Like that, that even can be something that somebody can claim is that, no, you have to go through us and pay to have access to these laws, which govern the way that you build buildings anywhere, right? Right. In the U S exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and we're not talking about just industry professionals. Like, like these are the laws that homeowners, if you're building a deck, if you're doing an extension renovation, you're following the same regulations. Same things that keep people safe in, in their apartments is the same ones in, in their offices and in the schools. It's, it's um, yeah, it's, pre- it's pretty foundational to, to the entire built, built environment. It does seem like that kind of thing is public domain. But, but I, and I think that's kind of what you guys, what you're saying is what you thought it was as well. Kind of, I'm sure you guys did some due diligence when you formed the company, but how come this never came to light? How come this is... Like you said, you you had seen that this had been litigated previously, but how come like this kind of fundamental issue had didn't come to light when you guys were forming the company? Do you, is it just because you didn't dig deep enough, or or is it something more shady than that, or what? Oh no, it it absolutely did come to light. Um, so so a, a kind of a groundbreaking case was Peter Veck in in Texas, um, in Anna and Savoy, Texas, so townships in in Texas, and he litigated. Well, well, no, so I should back up a little bit. So he you know, found, found this whole situation bizarre that you'd have to pay to understand what are the regulations that you're governed by. So he just posted these codes online. He just put the PDF online and said, you know what, like everyone in, in, in our towns should, should be able to read and, and see what they're governed by. Yeah. And then an organization SBCCI um, litigated uh, with Peter Vec. And so they went through these, went through the entire motion. Uh, Peter Vec won, in, I think in the appeals court. So it actually went up pretty high. Um, he won that. And, and the courts were like, no, the, the law is in the public domain and everyone needs ac- free access to, to the laws that, that govern us. So they very much agreed with him. Very significant case law was laid down. Okay. And fun fact, like that SBCCI, the ones that lost that lawsuit, then went on to become ICC, who's now suing us for the same reason. So, um, that, but that, that's uh, just a separate item. But so, so this case law was laid down. And parallel cases were happening in uh, it, like a couple years later, so so we we very much did look at, uh, at at this at this precedent. I know there's like Wikipedia pages and there's different stuff. Of course, we're not lawyers, but it seemed very clear based on you know this is like apples to apples uh, case law. Yeah. So we thought we we're totally in, in the clear. But lo and behold, unfortunately, in the U.S., um, you can basically bring a case against anyone, and they have to pay their legal fees. And litigation is incredibly expensive. Um, often it can exceed a million dollars just to defend yourself. So even if you're in the right, your your table stakes or your ante that you have to put down can be up to a million or more. Just enter it. So what you see is these big incumbents who uh, want to kind of protect their old ways, yeah. um, have a lot of money in their coffers, can can launch these litigations. And and that's exactly what we saw. Now, what we need and needed, and, and now fortunately it's happened, is for our own judge to say, no, 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 what UPCOS does is right. The law is in the public domain. 
And thankfully, it, um, a couple of months ago, that's actually exactly how it how it turned out. So we put in our motions for summary judgment. I see did the same in our own case. And uh, lo and behold, the judge is like, nope, laws in the public domain. Said okay. it very, very firmly and said it multiple times. Wow. So that must have felt really good, right? Like, because you guys actually didn't decide to just like settle, right? You decided to fight it. I'm sure that was also a, a very strenuous, stressful process. It took a long time, right? I think, how long did that go on for? A couple of years? Well, it's still going on. Okay. Um, no, so. that was the first one though. Like, let's just keep compartmentalize it, right? So, so you're yeah. saying that the judge made a decision for that first lawsuit. Was it not done at that point? Is that what you're saying? Well, it's, it's that first lawsuit is still going on. Oh my gosh. So, so like they've laid down, they've basically put the case law saying, Hey, the I codes are in the public domain when they're adopted. Yeah. Um, what up is doing is, is totally fine. So we got ba- basically 95% of, of what we wanted, but there's 5% of things that happened earlier on mm. that will still need to get figured out. Now we'll see which way that 5% falls. And, and frankly, it's not super consequential to like what we do today and, and looking forward. Okay. Um, but it's basically like we used to show red lines. We used to show like, um, like saying, okay, if a, if a jurisdiction adopted the IBC, what text did they keep? What text did they not keep? And it's the text that they didn't keep. That's kind of in question. It's like, you know, sh- should we have shown that was striked out red text or not? Um, and that's to be determined. So that's, we still need to like iron out these details, mm-hmm. but to answer your question, that first lawsuit is still going on. Wow. And I'm sure we'll get to, to the second one. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was a big relief. Right. And, and I think at that point you guys, there, there was still like some kind of media positioning going on out there regarding that kind of decision by the judge. Right. At that point, it was like, I, I know you guys had done, had posted some stuff. I can't remember if it was on your blog or on Twitter, but that, you, you know, you were talking about kind of the outcome of that and, and the ICC was too, I suppose. Yeah. And, and it actually happened in conjunction with the Supreme Court case se- separate to our own. Um, but there was a case in Georgia that's very, very similar, uh, but, but again, like separate. So this was um, uh, public resources organization versus the state of Georgia. And ba- basically to summarize this uh, very simply, Georgia produced annotations to the building code. So, you know, explaining what the building code is in plain English. Yeah. 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 Um, and they put that behind a paywall. And this organization was saying, hey, you know, we pay taxes. We, we, we pay for the government. If, if the government's creating documents, if they're creating edicts that we need as citizens to follow, we need free access to that. You, a government can't put their own material behind a paywall when yeah. we're paying you to produce that material with our taxes. Um, so, so they litigated that. It, it shot right up to the Supreme Court, which was wow. kind of phenomenal. It went really fast. And the Supreme Court ruled in the favor of citizens having free access to their laws uh, again, not too surprising, but we did need them to say it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and it was a really interesting um, case law to, to lay down. It was, it was definitely, I would say, like maybe a little bit more ambitious than our own. We're just saying the literal text of the law should be in the public domain. They're saying both the text of the law and the interpretation of the law should all be in the public domain. So okay. it, it was a pretty significant um, uh, case. And then our our own um, uh, result, result or what the judge announced on our case kind of happened um, together. And and in fact, our own judge interpreted some of the Supreme Court to help inform his own decision. Mm. Um, so it kind of all landed together. And that's, I think, where you saw the media, yeah. which is talking about our case, the Supreme Court case, and kind of this massive push in towards of uh, uh, open data advocacy and um, open access to laws. 
Interesting. So, okay. So I, I have so many questions for you, but I don't want to like just bombard you with, with stuff. I, I guess. So what happened, what's happened since that was figured out? I, I quote unquote figured out. Yeah. Um, and, and, and actually, do you mind if I just jump back to one little of course. Uh, point you mentioned? Yeah, go for yeah, it. I, yeah. So, so I just wanted to uh, touch on one thing that you mentioned, which is when we made that decision, should we litigate this or, uh-huh. or should we not litigate uh-huh. this? And, and I think it's like a pretty kind of like potent point there. Um, w- one thing that we saw was, uh, and, and end up being, you know, a lot of folks reached out to us, but was, was the fact that you had these huge incumbents mm-hmm. um, kind of locking down the code and suppressing any kind of innovation happening in the space. Yeah. So they're the gatekeeper. They need, you need, you need their blessing before you do anything. And th- to us, this was this is very perverse kind of way to, um, uh, uh, prevent innovation and to frankly to protect their their sales yeah. they're saying no no no. we we want to sell physical books for the for the end of time right and if you want to do anything otherwise well you know we're going to sue you and out of existence mm-hmm. so i think we we both had a kind of a very um personal uh, uh problem with that and and you know frankly being an architect coming from the architecture world i, I had a massive problem with that because it's like hey i've struggled all my peers have struggled trying to get through this compliance process, very painful. And now I'm kind of getting a, a light into why it's been so painful. Why don't we have tools that other professionals have? Yeah. And we realize that it's, it's because it's been suppressed for so long. Yeah. So in our decision, it's not just, I mean, of course we want to build a company and we want to get tools and products out there to, to the users, but also in doing so, we're hoping that we can kind of open up a lot of these regulations that other startups and cool and interesting innovations can start to operate on and, and kind of backfill a lot of these tools that our industry should have had, but hopefully will now in the future. Now that we're kind of clearing case law. I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think that this, that, that kind of thinking, we see it in lots of different kinds of ways in our profession. And, and it's obviously not limited to our profession. It's, it's all over the place. Um, we, we see it with copyright. We see it with patents we see it with all kinds of things where it's like they're based on an old way of doing things does that mean that they still make sense for how we're doing things now and i i think what what's the trap that we see lots of people in is is that thinking which is this is how we've always done it and this is how we are going to retire because we've built everything and we can't have it be seen as being torn down by you young millennials coming in and screwing everything up, right? Like to me like that, you guys have actually decided like, no, we're taking the long view here. We're looking at what we think is the right thing for our entire profession and industry. We want people, and even outside of the industry, like you said, like a homeowner still has to comply with this stuff who's has nothing to do with the architectural industry. They just want to add a deck or they just want to, you know, do something to their house. Um, so you're thinking beyond yourselves. You're thinking larger than our industry. But ultimately, I think you are thinking longer term, which is like, what's the right thing to do to position us so that we can innovate on top of and get get beyond where we've always been? And that to me is like that kind of thinking is what I appreciate so much about what you're doing. And the reason that I really wanted you to have this platform to come on and talk about this is because we need, and I think we're seeing it quite often, and it's the kind of people who come onto the show they're coming they have great new ideas that will fundamentally shift the way that we practice architecture and the way that the AEC industry works and we need to all get on that together to move forward instead of fighting each other and keeping things compartmentalized in silos 
to keep things how they always were. Because if we continue to do that, this industry will not exist in the future, period. That, that's like my firm stake in the ground. It's like if we don't move forward together, then we're all going to die individually. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I think it's beating a dead horse here, but I, I believe it was McKinsey did a study that said the construction industry as, as a whole has decreased in productivity over the last 50 years, Right. Um, which is alarming when you compare it against two other industries whose productivity has you know, gone up and up yeah. and, and done really well. Um, and, and I was having a great conversation with Ian Kenoff of, of Hypar recently, and, and we were talking about um, how complex this the whole ecosystem of architecture engineering construction is and and that no single people can actually tackle it all and yeah. do it all yeah. very very well um and I, I think in in reality it's it's going to be many solutions that are that are unpacking and, and focused on certain areas but the the more we can help those individual solutions talk to each other collaborate and work seamlessly with each other so, so you're talking about like exchanging data like 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 very easy transference between say like your Revit model to, to like what, what Hyper is working on to, to our own, like, like code validation. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can have all these experts focusing on their areas, but, but flowing information freely. And I, I think that's where we need to get um, is basically leveraging a whole bunch of different um, uh, innovations and initiatives that can uh, collaborate and talk well to each other because it's, it's just, you know, it's such a complicated kind of world that we operate in, in, in architecture. So I think, um, yeah, I think that's the future, and I think that's what we're working towards. You know, if you think about something as fundamental as building codes and how, you know, the, I think most people in the architectural production world are interpreting building codes on their projects. They're coming up with solutions to serve their clients, in many cases in spite of building codes. Like they're trying to find ways around or workarounds or working with. I mean, you can look at it probably either way and 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 you get the same outcome. Like you're coming up with a customized solution based on a set of constraints that sometimes you need to argue with a code official about. Uh, and and when you talked about this lawsuit in Georgia, that's the first time I've ever heard of anybody publishing interpretations. I've never heard of that. And maybe it's because I've been removed from projects for a while now, but that to me seems like, that is a tipping point in itself. And I know you guys enable teams to comment the code in your platform so that, you know, a PA could say, here's what this really means. And a junior member of the team could go in there and read that. Do you, are you guys coming up with any way to kind of flip a switch and make that kind of stuff public if somebody chooses that, that they're okay with that, who's a user of your platform? And the only reason I'm asking is, and the answer is probably no, but Going back to this case in Georgia and going back to our statements a minute ago about moving forward together as an industry, it seems like because every firm is doing this, that every single project architect in a firm is doing code interpretation, they're working with code officials, and they're resolving that problem every single time. Is there any kind of information sharing that architects, big capital A, overarching umbrella architects, can work together in that way using a platform like UpCodes or any other way to move forward together and not keep reinventing this on a project by project basis. So I, I couldn't agree more. And, and like, if you compare it to say software engineering, software engineering is extremely collaborative and, and a very robust thriving community online. So if you want to learn how to become a software engineer, there is more material than you could ever digest. <laughs> go or, to Stack or Overflow. Go to yeah. Exactly. Go to YouTube. Like there's so many resources. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And it's, it's com- like, I, I feel like it's the furthest end of the spectrum when you compare it to against the very siloed information in, in architecture. So you, you like exactly like you're saying, so you have firms that have siloed information as a firm within that firm, they have individuals who have siloed information, yep. experts in, in different areas. Right. Then you have the government again, siloed information, very, very opaque. And, and that couldn't be further from the truth for software. So, so software developers are sharing information. They're sharing ideas. They're answering each other's questions. They're debating online. They're making things open source and, and giving it out there. So I think in so many different ways we can benefit from that. Now, when it comes back to code, it, it, it's pretty interesting because so, so us as, as a company, we need to be a little bit careful in terms of, you know, do we give good advice or bad advice and yeah, how, how do absolutely. you- um, moderate that. And, and I mean, frankly, like we were just coming off the tail end of, or, or maybe in the middle of, of, of this election, but you, you look at things like Facebook and, and they have difficulty just moderating people's opinions. And, and it's a very, like, I have no idea what the right answer <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, but there. that's billions of people. <laughs> like we're not talking about a, a, anything at the same scale. I, I totally see where you're going, but I would also just throw the caveat that like, we're, we're operating at a completely different scale than that. It seems like we could wrap our heads around this, this problem. Yeah, no, it's it's a good point, but uh, but yeah, just 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 to kind of tie that up, it's it's yes. that moderation yeah. component where it's like, you, I mean, frankly, you just don't want someone to come on and say like, hey, you know, this is my opinion, you got to do it this way, where they might be wrong, or they might be right in that jurisdiction, but not, you know, yes. and maybe they're operating in or with in, that official and not a different one, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah in the same yeah, jurisdiction, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right, that's right, how weird right, it is. I, and, and I, you know, this, this is, it is very kind of a gray area, right? Is, is sharing opinions, but man, like if you look at the way, um, like, like, let's say that I'm developing a grasshopper script that does something that we want to automate and never do again by hand. Right. And we want to share that out and it doesn't work for somebody. Does that mean we shouldn't have shared it? Uh, Because somebody could use a piece of that logic to solve something else or build their own and make it better. Um, Mm -hmm. We've had the same question, though. It's like, well, what if somebody uses this and it doesn't follow the code in their jurisdiction and therefore it gets them in trouble? Are they going to come back looking at us for, you know, they want to make up for that somehow? And and so, like, now we just start disclaimering the crap out of everything. And and that just becomes kind of a lot of noise in the world as well. So it seems like there's got to be a way to distinguish interpretation and opinion, but useful versus mm-hmm. like how effective it could potentially be or not be on your project. Yeah, for for, for sure. And, and and just like you're saying, like I, I think the open source community, at least the software, is so robust because people contribute to it. So mm-hmm. they'll so you put it out there, they're gonna take it, they're gonna improve it and give it back. And then the third person's gonna come along and 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 layer on and and then over time after you have two hundred contributors, you have a very robust it's community um, policing system. basically, right? Like yeah. like Wikipedia is a great example of this where it's right, run right. by a community and you've got people looking over various pieces of that community doing QA on it basically, making right. sure that that everything's copacetic and and hopefully for the most part it is but realizing that it's an imperfect system it's never going to be perfect because it's a living breathing thing that and some level does take on a life of its own and you are going to have clashes of opinions within it um, kind of fighting for you know what gets published but i could totally see that similar kind of thing happening with the building code because again we all have to use it yeah, and it, yeah, and it's really interesting. There, there is a great—I um, have to look it up—but a, a great podcast um, with Jimmy Wales, 
who, who's the founder of, of Wikipedia. And in early days, they had something like a seven or eight step process that it went through. It had to get signed off and vetted by various experts before it could ever find its way onto Wikipedia or whatever they called it at the time. And it, and, and it just proved to be too onerous. They couldn't get the content out there. It was too slow. And they basically that's how things that die, back. right? Like that's how yeah. products die because they can't move quick enough. I could totally see. Yeah, that. exactly. Yeah, and and they basically peeled it back to exactly what you described, which is that that community policing collaboration that that could generate a lot of content, but also vet that content. So so thinking about the impact on upcodes, and, I, and I'm not saying this is like a great solution here, but we actually have taken a stab at that very recently. Uh-huh. So about a month ago, we released a feature called Diagrams, and it it takes experts in the field who otherwise would have had very siloed information or expertise and said, hey, okay, you, you're really good, let's say, with, with stucco and, and, and waterproofing details. I, I'm going to pay you. I, I want you to create the best possible, uh, like basically download your expertise, and then mm-hmm. we can democratize it on the site. Awesome. And then we can share it with folks. And then once we get it up there to people, and, and, and this has gone live, so we've actually started to do this, we can have a, a feedback iteration loop. Where we we put you know we we heavily request feedback. We said was this helpful to you? Was it not? And they can hit a little box, and then it prompts for some feedback. And best case scenario, we can get on the phone with them and understand why and have that dialogue. But at the same time, like, while we'll get the feedback from the folks, we're going to give that back to the experts and have some experts review that mm-hmm. uh, to to make sure it makes sense. And then we'll we'll iterate and and upgrade the the diagrams and and the content. Basically, this explanation of of how to view the law. So that that's been our kind of first stab at kind of community source and trying to democratize and break down these silos of information of how to get to the code. But you know, I, I it is like a drop in the ocean. Yeah. yeah and it will take a lot that. of time. So it's um so a lot to do. Could probably improve it. We could probably make it better. But I, I think that was like a first safe kind of foray into the world of of sharing this information. Well, I was just thinking about, as you were talking about kind of that process, that's exactly how NCARB designs the AREs, right? They get architects involved. Somebody might have an idea about a question. They put it out there, and then other people push and pull that question in different directions until they can kind of settle in on something that then becomes a candidate to put onto the exams. And it's a very, it's it's like a design process, right, for a question, and in your case, it could be about a detail or a particular way of doing things in a particular climate zone, et cetera, mm-hmm. you know, with different building materials and stuff like that. An incredible resource, right? An incredible resource, if not to actually use on a project, but to learn from on how to build buildings. I could see that being so useful for our entire profession. Like you said, it, could, it, it would take a long time to get there. But actually actively engaging architects to come together and institutionalize or codify that knowledge in, into a resource would be incredible for, for this profession. Would absolutely incredible. Yeah, I completely agree. And if you look at like the Android or Apple forms, so if you, if, with your smartphone, if you've ever had a question, you type into Google, more often than not, you're going to get one of these pretty robust forums. And, and they've, I think they've done a pretty good job. It could get better for sure, but, but pretty decent in terms of voting up the best answer. I mean, yeah. just like Stack Overflow, right? where you can kind of start to surface out uh, the signal from the noise and, and, yeah. and have these open source contributions that float to the top. And, and I mean, I can't count the amount of times I've benefited from someone else having um, asked the same question and then, then, a, then a third person answering with, with a reasonable answer. 
I, we've had this crazy argument in our firm for the last few years over this exact thing. And that is like, we, we wanted to create a group on our internet that is for asking questions about how you put buildings together. And we call it the source, right? And it's this, I, I think it has amazing potential. And there's a group of people who don't want anything to even show up on the source unless, unless it's been vetted by a committee. And then there's the other group of people like me who are like, no, just answer the question and let somebody else answer it a different way and let somebody else answer it a different way and then let the user let the users decide and don't say like there's such a mentality out there about i have to have the right answer and can only be seen offering the right answer every single time versus this kind of like we called it a minute ago a design process of pushing and pulling and typically there's more than one way to solve a problem Right. And so let somebody else be the arbiter of which one gets applied to their particular problem. But this could expose them to so much rich information and different approaches for solutions that would enrich the entire process rather than this being like a math problem where it's like, here is my question. I want I want an exact answer. It doesn't work like that. Right. And so it seems to me like there's such this huge opportunity, but also this huge battle between these two different kind of mindsets which is I've got to be right all the time. I have to be the solutions provider. And then there's the other one where it's like, no, I'm just going to facilitate the process. Yeah. And and if you take the inverse of that, so so you you don't want to share information if it's not 100% vetted. The, the reality is you get a lot of junior people come out of academia, no experience putting a building together, You know, not that it should be expected because they, they're, they're coming out of school and they don't have access to these forums, these discussions. At the end of the day, they just rely on the senior staff or the partners or the principals or the project managers. And they have like they have no other option, but they have to go to them because this information is not available. Yeah. Um, so so that's the reality. And I think I think it's like a, a bit of a challenge because there's a huge barrier there for people to upgrade their skills and 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 get access to this information. So I completely agree with you. I, I think if if people were less scared of putting that information out there, being willing to be wrong, be willing mm-hmm. to be mistakes, but, but be corrected by other folks and basically have this, this mind share, you're not only going to benefit yourself, but you're going to benefit the, the junior folks who, who yeah. have, they're starting from a cold start. They're starting from zero yeah. and they need to get up to speed quickly. It's a, it's very much like a one-to-many kind of an attitude rather than a one-to-one kind of an attitude, because I think traditionally those conversations do happen at somebody's desk and it's like, how do you do this? Well, you do it. I, here's how I do it like this. And then that information never grows beyond that. Yeah. The right. one to many kind of attitude here is like, no, ask that question in public, right? Which is our intranet, which is our public, mm-hmm. not the wide public, right? But right. I, I would love to see it get to that level as well, where that information is shared beyond the firm to make the profession better so that we can stop solving these same questions over and over and over again. And it doesn't like, I guess solves the wrong word, but at least like, build upon the knowledge base of everybody and share that out with everybody. I think that there's so much more potential there. That seems to me like you guys, I bet you never set out to do anything like that. Like, <laughs> but, but the potential is there. That's really an interesting kind of yeah. turn that this story has, has taken. Yeah, for sure. And to circle back to something you mentioned earlier, right now, individuals or teams are making comments, they're annotating, marking up the code. Yeah. But it, it's a pretty provocative idea. Like what happens if you shared that publicly? Like yeah. what, what would that look like? What, what happens if a building department or a fire department did the same thing and they, they shared it publicly? Some, some do, you know, in yeah. a very informal capacities. Like I know California does, New York City does. 
um, and, and here and there we've seen some stuff like where the the governments will start to create some documents, but it's a very kind of difficult way to get documents out there. It's, it would be way better if it just lived right in the code, yeah. right adjacent to the actual text of it. Give me like, give me some insight. What, what is your intention here? Why, why is the code written the way it, the way it is? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So let's go back to your, your ICC lawsuit story. So what happened next after, after that uh, kind of 95% milestone yeah. that you guys hit? So, um, okay. So, so we hit that 95% milestone, get phenomenal kind of case law laid down. Uh, the judge said what we do currently, uh, upcodes wins. They said it in, we won two or three different ways, different ways you could cut it and look at it. Supreme court, uh, uh, we're saying same things. So we're all celebrating. Everyone's happy. Um, our, our legal team who are phenomenal, they're, they're getting calls from, from around the country, from copyright experts and, um, open advocacy experts congratulating them on on pushing the ball forward, and um, and us as a team, you know, we're we're celebrating, we're, we're all happy. Um, and then nine days after uh, the, our our judge releases, just nine days after ICC sued us for a second time on completely unrelated grounds. Um, I mean, like very transparently, it, it, looking at it, it, it it just looks like a backup option. It's like, hey, we couldn't mm-hmm. kill these guys with. Um, uh, the copyright case and, and and we're now losing that and it looks like that's not going to work for us Let, let's 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 try a, a, a an option b wow. and, and hit them again with 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 separate cases so we're very much in like the early days of of this um i mean the the, the courts don't really operate during i mean at various like low capacity during covid time so yeah they, so they launched this but it, it really hasn't moved in, in either direction very far and it's it's interesting because to us it's it's um more annoyance at this part it's just like a cost burden yeah, for sure on us than than any kind of like existential question because it's a uh, completely unrelated claims wow so that kind of deflated the party balloons a little bit for sure it it, <laughs> it, it, it did um and, and and the ironic part of it is, is that the in in this claim they 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 claim two things one is false advertising and two is unfair competition which is which is a bit ironic considering yeah, right uh, what they they've done historically. Be, and- they wanted to be the monopoly, and now they're they're blaming you for unfair competition. Right. Wow. So, so it's it's kind of hard to like wrap your your head around it, but in an interesting way, it, it's actually brought to light a, a lot of good conversations. So they said, hey, um, like like we say, hey, we're we're up to date. We we include uh, like integrated amendments, and you know, a lot of our infrastructure is keeping these things accurate and up to date. And they're saying, no, 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 like you, you can't say that. Um, I think they pointed out of over a million sections of code that we host on the site, they pointed out like 14 possible errors, some of which they also had on their website. So there's, I apparently <laughs> didn't read their own website, Yeah, which of is course. <laughs> kind of bizarre. Yeah. So we probably fixed those, but then we're like, okay, this is interesting because if we run our automated QA and our look and we look at their website, we ran it through and, and we inspected their website, we found over 400 errors on their website. And, and that was just, get like starting to touch the surface. So it, it kind of like in an interesting way brought to light this kind of debate. It's like, it's like, actually, wait a second. You're, you're inadvertently making a really good point where like you guys are really good at binding up physical books and selling those physical books and doing trainings and certification. Clearly what you're not good at is, is developing these tech products and creating infrastructure to assimilate all this data. Um, where going back to this previous point is I think people need to specialize in in what they do and focus on different areas. And the area we have focused on 
is keeping these things up to date and integrating this data. Um, and I think when we kind of matched up, you know, we were forced to like take a look at them compared to us, like we came out ahead. And, and I think that's why, and I think that's why the larger industry will benefit because multiple people are working on the same problem. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> you're, you're taking that negative and turning it into a positive. I think that's a, that's a huge kind of, um, I, I just applaud you for doing that because I think a lot of people would be like, uh, we're not going to do this again. Come on. That's, that's just gotta be terrible thing to go through. But now that you're actually taking that and turning it and making it into something that is like, Oh, uh, I could see something here. Let's make it even better. And using it as an opportunity, uh, okay. Like you want to go down that road, let's go down that road, right? Let's make it better because of it. I think that's a really interesting kind of, uh, point of view that you guys have taken there. Yeah, and I, I completely agree. And it, and, it, and it's really, for us, brought to light a lot of these conversations we've had in the past, which is leveraging the tools that we built and then helping out other local jurisdictions. So our, our systems will flag and say, hey, it looks like there's an error in these different sections. Mm. And we look at it and we're like, hey, th- you know, there is a mistake. So, so we'll go to the building department or the fire department and we'll say, hey, it looks like there's some kind of error or, or mistake in the code. Yeah. And and it turns out there is, and it just happened in, in the original authoring of the code yeah. or the amendment um, to it. So there's been this really nice hum, harmonious kind of collaboration where we can Checks use our technology. Yeah. E- exactly. Yeah, send wow. it back to them. And ideally in the future, we can actually get a little bit closer upstream into the authoring process where they can mm. start creating the code, making the amendments, and then they'll have automatic flags, kind of like a spell check, yeah. but way more complicated than a normal spell check because it's looking for inconsistencies right. or discrepancies or numbering issues and very kind of code related items. But ideally you could get those into the hands of the governments to help them write the code more effectively. And then it, you know, the, the rising tide lifts all boats. And I think we'll all benefit from more accurate authoring upstream in the process. That's a, that's amazing to me. And that's what computers are good at, right? Like you, you're writing very specific kind of algorithms to do that kind of checking. It's very specific to what you guys are doing. You're not trying to step on other people's toes. You're trying to make the whole thing better and you're helping out the local jurisdictions in the meantime so that they don't have to field as many questions because of that error, right? Because it's going to take away the need for them to have to respond over and over and over to a problem that they Mm -hmm. could just fix. Uh, it seems to me like that's a win-win. And that to me is where you guys are actually looking for ways to add value with your platform rather than just be that gatekeeper and just profit off the this thing kind of having a, a life of its own. You're very actively engaged in how this affects people on a day-to-day basis who use the code all the time. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, basically just trying to bring a bit of uh transparency and predictability like going back to what you said like each different building department might interpret a different way but if we have a lot of clarity and transparency in how they will interpret it and and how the end user can interpret it 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 will just move twice three times as fast as as we do today when we do code research awesome so talk a little bit about what the response from the community has been because you and you guys kind of i the way i think is that you have kind of a foot in a couple of different communities you've got kind of this architectural professional community but you guys are also kind of in the startup world pretty firmly as well and like you guys are publishing things on TechCrunch. where i mean i don't know how many architects read TechCrunch, but those two paths don't necessarily cross, right, for a lot of your audience. So so how are you guys positioned and what kind of feedback were you getting throughout this process from the two different communities? 
Yeah, or, and, and, or there and, are even more. <laughs> there might even be more. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I'll just mention quickly, like um, in terms of industry. So we obviously work with a, a ton of architects and that, that's my background, but also GCs, mm-hmm. uh, building departments, fire departments, uh, tradespeople, plumbers, electricians, roofers. So so that's kind of, yeah, exactly said, like in the industry on the other side is like the, the tech community. So there's the response to the, the legal component. Uh, but then even beyond that, and I'll get to that in a sec, but beyond that, in terms of the the, the product, Eric Schmidt, uh, formerly of, of Google, had a great line, I think, I think in the book Into the Plex, um, and it, it was called combinatory innovation. And, and basically saying in, in all different fields, we're, we're making new innovations and, and new tools are, are coming up to day-to-day uh, cadence. It, but it takes people that can kind of straddle different industries and, and keep their finger on the pulse of different industries to see what the opportunity is when you combine these things together. Yeah. So you can look at what people are doing in say manufacturing or in healthcare, and then bring some of those insights into architecture or into construction and say like, Hey, they're doing it this way. If we combine it with what these guys are doing in healthcare over here, uh, we can mix those together in a very kind of provocative, fruitful way. And, and then let architecture benefit from that. So I think for us, like that straddling of the two different worlds has been critical in terms of like understanding what are the opportunities here? What, what can we bring in, um, in the influence as well as just tapping on experts that we, you know, if it comes to like marketing or, you know, or even like the, the tech stack or the backend system or front end, if there's questions we don't know, just being, have these experts we can tap on has been phenomenally, um, helpful. So that's on like the product side. And, and the business side. But when it comes to the legal component, I, I think when people are approaching this with, with uh, no previous knowledge of how the industry works, yeah. it, it's just shocking. Like it, it takes us so long to convey to, to people that organizations would actually claim copyright on the law. Like it, it, it just simply doesn't compute for a lot of folks. And when we have had debates and in, in forums, or I wouldn't even call it debates, but just, just announcing it in, in forums and different places online, um, it, it, yeah, it's just met with a lot of surprise and a lot of anger, uh, which, which we understand. Cause that, that was also our kind of like our, um, reaction to it as well. I, I think that architects ha- have seen this in the past and they kind of been familiar with how aggressive and intimidating some of these SDOs have been historically. Mm-hmm. So to them, it might not come as much of a shock, but yeah, when we cross over into other communities, I think there's way more, way more shock. There's lots of legal action going on in AEC all the time. There is, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, there is. So what kind of support did you get from architects on social media, stuff like that? Did, was that kind of overwhelming? Was it underwhelming? Like, what, how, does the, how is the industry following along with what you're doing? Yeah, so it, it's been really, um, uh, I, I wouldn't call it overwhelming because we always love it. it. There's definitely been a lot. And, and for us, it manifests the best way when, when people are really supportive of the product and they, they give a, um, like user interviews or advice or feedback. They'll, they'll be using the product themselves and say, Hey, you know, like, I know, well, I know you guys are responsive. I know you're trying to push this industry forward. I'm going to, I'm going to download some of my thoughts and and we'll take them, reflect on it, chew on it, debate it, combine it with someone else's thoughts and, and then try and improve the product. So, I mean, the encouragement has been fantastic and, and, and we always love that. Uh, but I'd say like the best form is, is when we actually get to like connect with the community, talk with the community, collaborate and, and work with folks. Um, so I, I think we've been a little bit lucky in the sense that people have been so supportive and willing to reach out and, and to help, um, has been phenomenal. That's awesome. It's good to hear. I mean, it, it reminds me, I was recently reading an article that was posted 
almost two years ago now on on Medium by Richard Duvall, and I'm just going to quote it here. Maybe we'll we'll end with this because I think it sums up what you guys are doing very succinctly, and we can obviously continue the conversation. Maybe this will spark something, but I want to put it out there. Uh, he has an article um, called "Innovation Isn't What You Think It Is," and in the article. This part that I snipped out, it says the long history of innovation has proven time and again that innovation isn't about making something new. It is about destroying the existing order of things. And and like you're talking about connecting the dots, you're talking about like looking, you know, having your foot firmly in different domains and kind of connecting the dots, looking for opportunities, looking for places where problems can be solved, where you can add value. Like that's really a, a spirit of entrepreneurship. But that little quote right there, is so threatening to this kind of incumbent class of of businesses that are used to kind of coasting on something that they figured out a long time ago. And I think what I see time and time again, especially with people like you, Scott, and other people who have been on this podcast, is I don't see that mindset really settling in of once we figure it out, we're going to hang on to this thing really tightly. I think we are all kind of interested in building something bigger together. And in order to do that, we have to tear down on many Mm -hmm. levels what's happened before because those just don't work anymore. And they don't work for this larger, connected society that we have. And the way that we work and use technology to kind of augment our processes, I mean, especially now, we would be nowhere during a pandemic without the technology that we have, just as a very simple example that's very tangible you very much have a mindset, I think, of like, we're going to take this and we're going to continue to build and it's never going to be done. Let's continue to make it better and better and better and never just kind of stop and settle and hang on to the way things were. I At least I hope we don't ever kind of take on that mindset because to me, that's where the innovation really does stop. And, and it really doesn't say much about having that kind of future thinking next generation kind of a thinking how's the next generation going to do better with what we've done how can we leave a legacy that enables them to do more not stop them in their tracks yeah yeah absolutely and it, and it comes back to first principles thinking and elon musk you know a little bit uh, controversial over the last couple of years but uh yeah like i think he embodies that really well which is like let, let's take something that that that's been entrenched and let's approach it from fresh principles and think and envision how it should be, not the way it's currently done. Yeah. And, and, and uh, yeah, I, I really like that uh, exactly what you're saying. Cause for us, um, like we, we did exactly that last week. It's like, let's, okay, throughout everything that we have today, d- just as an exercise, let's start from a blank page. How would you approach compliance today? Mm-hmm. And, and, and try and forget about everything the way we do it. Of course, this is just an exercise. Like we, there's like, uh, you know, in terms of like workflows and adoption, there's like challenges there, but let, let's in 10 years, what does compliance look like? And, and let's, let's have that as our North star. Let's try and define that. We don't have to commit to anything. It can be, you know, it can be updated all the time, but let's, let's try and envision what compliance is in 10 years and work towards that mm. and, and go on this journey and try and bring folks along and, and constantly question ourselves and constantly be able to throw away things that we, that we did that, that was new at the time, but might not be that relevant in, in two, three years. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time to spell all this out. Is there anything else that you want to bring up or point people at on the internet or anything for kind of uh, future reading or to catch up on some of the stuff that we've been mentioning today? So um, I, I think we covered a lot of like the, the vast majority of it. Yeah. Um, I, I would just point out that a lot of the updates that we 
uh, then counter will just post it right to Twitter. We, we try to do be as transparent as possible and then keep up to date with kind of like the ongoing debate and yeah. any articles that come out or, or, or uh, court decisions and things like that. We try to consolidate it. And if anyone's interested, uh, that's, that's a good place to, to get the news. And you guys are upcodes on Twitter, one word, yep. right? And we'll have a exactly. link to that in the show notes. And a lot of the things that we've talked about today will definitely be in there. So thanks, man. It's been a, a fascinating conversation. I think it, you know, it just begins to kind of scratch the surface as the, the amount of work that needs to be done uh, to start to raise that innovation curve that you mentioned earlier from McKinsey in this profession and this industry. It's, it's going to be a lot of work. But I think you guys are well positioned to help us design what that future looks like rather than just kind of wait around and let somebody else uh, tell us what it's going to be. So I appreciate that about you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully it's a collaborative effort where um, end users are working in tandem with with uh, people on the technology side trying to trying to push that forward. Yeah. But thanks for having me. I really, uh, really enjoyed the, the conversation. Thanks, Scott. Me too. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast, where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for E Troxel. Talk to you soon.